1 Timothy chapter 3. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach. Faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you with these instructions so that, if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Ben. Do keep that passage open. Now let's pray using uh, verses 14 and 15, uh, verse 15 there. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we want to know how we ought to conduct ourselves amidst the mess of life and suffering and all the usual tribulations, Lord, that we face. We want to know how to live, Lord, in God's household, your uh, church, the living God. Lord, because we want to know how to be the pillar and foundation of the truth, Lord, that will keep us going in our faith, but Lord, we'll also see the world come to know you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would apply these words to us and help us, Lord, to do all we can to be uh, more and more uh, as a church should be, more and more pure, more and more this pillar and foundation of truth in the way that we do things. And by your word, uh, Lord, help us, correct us, teach us, rebuke us, equip us for every good work, I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so we are uh, continuing this good news at Guardians, um, the idea being that uh, Timothy is writing to Paul with exactly what we've just prayed, uh, how we are to be a church, uh, this living of the living God, who's appearing a foundation of this glorious gospel, which we've already had uh, back in chapter 1, verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of who I am the worst. How is it that we can more and more reflect that? And actually we're discovering that actually it is the people of God, though very messy, though filled with suffering and plight, who actually are the guardians of that good news message, whether it's the false teaching that we need to silence in, in chapter one, or whether it's in the sort of nitty gritty of how we do kind of day to day, -to -day worship at the end of, uh, of uh, all of chapter two, or in this one is actually how we think about our leadership and appointing leadership. What we're gonna see here is that good news guardians have Jesus-shaped spiritual leadership. Jesus-shaped spiritual leadership, that's what, we, what we're aiming for. I actually want to aspire to be or to raise up spiritual leadership that is like this, that is shaped by this gospel. Uh, and so why, why listen today? I think this is sort of our purpose as a church. It's kind of, you know, once we've been saved, what are we living for? What are we doing here as we gather? Actually, what we want to do is be this pillar and foundation of truth and have a church that more and more reflects uh, what God has intended for us so that we might be these guardians of this fantastic gospel that we have, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So what's your role going to be in that today as you grapple with life? Um, well, the leadership stats in the Church of England are like looking at the White Cliffs of Dover. There's a period of green, and then it just drops into nothing. There are very, very few people going into spiritual leadership in the Church of England. It is an absolute disaster. In fact, if it wasn't for the fact that actually, um, you know, there's many women who brilliantly serve in some kind of spiritual leadership role, there would be almost no one running churches and see, so it's just definitely true, isn't it, that whatever you think about that, it shows that actually the idea of aspiring to spiritual leadership has almost totally gone. I don't know how often you notice when a vicar appears on a television or on your YouTube. Have you ever noticed this? When was the last time that you saw a vicar or a leader of a church who was sort of like the hero? They're always weird, idiots, or they're like the, the sort of the horror story. Like the, you know, do you know what I mean? And that is what we have all the time. So aspiring to spiritual leadership is not something at all that we're, we're used to. And I think that's, that's not going to be great for us as a church, is it? If we've imbued that and our young are imbuing that. And guess what? God's got an answer. And his answer to that problem is you. Isn't that cool? We're going to see that in here. So let's have a look. We're going to see, I think, spiritual leadership is a beautiful task requiring a beautiful character. We're going to have a look. Spiritual leadership is about being shaped by Christ. And then church leadership embodies the truth of the gospel. That's the whole point of it. Really, we probably ought to put that first. So look, look with me down here at verse 1 in chapter 3. And let me show you that spiritual leadership is a beautiful task requiring beautiful character. Chapter one, verse, uh, 3, verse 1. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. It is a good thing to be an overseer. Now that word, overseer, is a word used interchangeable with elder, presbytos, if you like your Greek. That's in Titus chapter 1. And so I take it that what we're, the realm that we're in, when we see the word overseer, some people think it just means you're going to be a bishop. Don't think that's right. I think you're in the region of spiritual oversight. So if you look over to verse 17 of chapter 5, you'll see there the elders who direct the affairs of the church. Uh, and they're also doing the preaching and the teaching. 
That's where we are. That's what we mean by an overseer. So, uh, someone who is overseeing what's going on in the church, directing it, and doing some of the preaching and the teaching. Now, it's, um, it's a good thing for the church to have leadership. That's what we note here. God's kingdom is never flat. It always has a hierarchy. There is always a leadership and someone that follows. And it's a beauty, it should be a beautiful picture. We do not like hierarchies and authority in our culture. We, are, we hate them. But actually, the problem isn't the fact that there's a hierarchy. The problem is that the people who are in hierarchy are messy sinners who use their power for themselves, isn't it? When we see the hierarchy of God's kingdom, we see chapter 1, verse 15, the trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We see a hierarchy that works from the bottom up, that Jesus comes as a servant, as we prayed in Philippians 1, in order to die and rise again for us. What a beautiful power. What a beautiful hierarchy. What beautiful leadership. And so God's kingdom in his church has, has a hierarchy. There are those that lead, and they should do in this sort of beautiful way that we see in God's kingdom with Jesus. So we don't have churches where there's no leadership. We don't have churches where everyone leads. There is some kind of leadership. Uh, and that's invested in a person, an overseer, or a number of people. Now, that is in part why spiritual leadership is a noble task. So here, and um, the word is uh, kalos, which most often just means beautiful. So if you don't know what noble means, what we're driving at is something that is just amazing and lovely and wonderful. We're not thinking like they're a sort of king or a baron or something. We're thinking it's beautiful. Um, it's because Jesus' spiritual leadership is the most beautiful thing, presumably, that most of you have ever beheld. Because that's why you're here. You love Jesus as your Lord, as your leader. He is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. His leadership is the most lovely thing that you've ever beheld. It makes us sing. Oh, I've forgotten the tune. I was going to try and sing it. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to cavalry and suffered and died alone. How marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. We marvel at the beauty of Jesus' leadership, don't we? And so aspiring to a spiritual leadership, as Jesus did, is to aspire to something that is beautiful. It's wonderful. In Jesus' economy, spiritual leadership is a beautiful thing to long to be under, or to be served by, technically, and a beautiful task to aspire to, and to encourage other people to aspire to. Do you know those sort of milk... I've had people encourage me into all sorts of professions. Have you, have you, has anyone ever told you... Someone once told me I should be a tree surgeon. It's amazing. The views are incredible. <laughs> sounded dangerous. But, you know, how many people have encouraged you, hey, you should aspire to be a spiritual leader? Maybe not yet, because you've got some way to go, and we'll see that, but you should aspire to that, because this is a beautiful thing. How many people have you encouraged into that? Leadership and authority are almost rude words in our culture, but the problem is not authority itself, but who exercises it and how. And leadership in the church is noble because it's shaped by Jesus. Uh, and that's what we get at the end. We're going to see that in verse 16. 
Can you see in verse 16, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs, and that's what we're about to talk about. What does it spring from? The gospel. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. This is the gospel that makes him noble. So how do we grow in this task? How do we aspire to be um, these spiritual leaders? And how do we encourage others to aspire to do that? What is it that we look for? What would you put on your... I just had to write a role description for the families minister we're trying to employ. What would you put on your absolute necessities for the job? Have a look what Paul puts in verse 2. Now, the overseer is to be... This is always makes the rich reading when you're the minister at the front. The overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Because if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So what is it that we're looking for in spiritual leadership and then we're encouraging in others to grow into spiritual leadership? It is character, isn't it? Most of that is character. We're about character, not ability. We want to encourage character that is, is what? I mean, just, it's like Jesus, isn't it? That's when I read this list, I think, well, that's, Jesus does that. I didn't do any of that. And I'm very grateful that he has lived that perfectly for me. To be above reproach, that is uh, disapproval or disappointment. That's what reproach means uh, in actions and choices. But actually, instead, really, above reproach is, means that you have the approval and the admiration in all the things that you do and you say. To be faithful to his wife, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be married in order to be a spiritual leader. Jesus wasn't married, greatest spiritual leader ever. But faithful. Think on God's faithfulness to his unfaithful people over thousands of years. Never forsaking even the most hopeless case. Jesus' faithfulness as he goes to the cross for Peter, denying him. But it also is a point there in the marriage context that it's not given over to sexual immorality as per Jesus, the single celibate most fulfilled life there ever was. So not lasting after women or lusting after women or porn or adulterous thoughts about loving the opposite sex. Can you see, it's, a, it's just a beautiful character, isn't it? And so our spiritual, uh, uh, spiritual leadership is a beautiful task requiring a spiritual character. That's what we're looking to encourage and what we're aspiring to. Notice also it says here, able to teach, um, in, at the end of verse 2, um, probably one of the few abilities rather than characteristics. And that shows again, doesn't it, the centrality of God's word and the preciousness of the teaching to the church, that leadership must be able to teach the good news. And that's not everyone's gift. That's okay, there are many, many gifts. It doesn't make you more valuable or less valuable. But I think that's probably the one thing worth highlighting, isn't it? Out of all the character, there's one ability, and that is to teach. And that tells you something about the, the primacy, isn't it, of actually unpacking the word of God. And that's why I think in 1 Timothy 1, you've got to silence false teaching. You've got to get a handle on your teaching uh, if you're going to be a church that's going to be a pillar and foundation of truth. 
Can I just draw your attention as well to not a lover of money? Um, which verse is that? Let's have a look. Can't find three, it now. Three. Oh, thank you. End of verse 3. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Uh, that's so interesting, isn't it? Jesus born into a carpenter, middle-class family, but he died with nothing. We, we know, don't we, from elsewhere in the Bible, that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money, it's the same word here, uh, this um, love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. So it's no surprise um, that there's no evidence of that in Jesus, is there? You know, his, he didn't have this love of good things that ever got in the way of his obeying his father. Rather, he was secure in the comfort and security of heaven. He was secure in the power of the Holy Spirit and the desire to serve others rather than wanting money to provide comfort and security and power now. This is indicative of someone who loves the Lord, isn't it? Someone who doesn't love money, but whose citizenship is in heaven, not here, and wants to serve others as well. Uh, you know, serving, you can't serve two masters, can you? Money or the Lord. That's a really crucial one, but a hard one in our culture. So we want to aspire to that characteristic and encourage that in others. But look, just notice what's not here in this massive list. What's not here is you must be university educated, wear chinos and a college shirt, speak the Queen's English, and be gifted, ambitious, a self-starter, full of energy, with a perfect bit of health, and no mental health issues. That is not there. I'd like to see people with mental health issues who are sick, who are actually pretty poured out, who, who need their brothers and sisters in Christ to support them every step of the way to get from the seat to the pulpit or whatever it is, who, who actually are only ambitious for Christ, who have seem to have almost no gifting, they're almost unintelligible to the Queen's English, um, they dress in hoodies and ripped jeans and they've never been to university. But they have this beautiful character. Yes, that's what we want. I would take character over ability. If I'm in an interview for the family's minister, and I've got someone who's got the character, and maybe not the ability, and then I've got someone who's got the ability, but maybe not the character, I go with the character every time. Similarly, there's none of the usual work experience here e either, is there? What's the work experience that we, we aspire to? We've got to be experienced in godly spiritual leadership. Uh, that's in verse 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, then how can he take care of God's church? So here there's a connection is made between leading a family and leading the household of God. And Ephesians 5, when it talks about marriage, is very clear. That Jesus leads his church uh, as the head of the church. And so the same thing happens in a marriage and a family. The husband leads the wife. And so therefore, this connection, I think, does reinforce what we saw last week. That actually, this kind of overseeing spiritual leadership of a church family should be male. But it should also be beautiful. It's not domineering and pursuing your own gain or power. It's being like Jesus. How beautiful is the way that Jesus is head over his church? How wonderful is that, that he gave everything for us? And so how beautiful should a husband leading his wife be, that he would pour himself out in her service to present her pure and blameless on the final day? 
And so how beautiful should this spiritual leadership be where actually there's a handful of men in the church who pour themselves out to serve the church family in that way. You see, what, what that means is, is actually we're imaging what happens with the gospel. Can you see that? So in the same way that Jesus loves his church, marriage images that, and so the leadership in a church mirrors that as well. And that makes us this pillar and foundation of the truth. A bit more, which is great. Uh, and listen, not that you have to be married to be in spiritual leadership. Jesus wasn't, we've already said that. Uh, but proven in that spiritual leadership, I think. You know, if you, if you practically manage your family well, if you've got that character and that love are so much that your children listen to you, even if it's only sometimes, and you do that all in a way that commands the respect of Christians who have experienced Jesus' leadership and how he leads, that's the kind of necessity, isn't it? It's not an option. But listen, you don't have to be perfect. This, I think you can read this and think, well, look, who, who can ever do this? Uh, and we've got to remember, we've got to keep coming back, that the point of the spiritual leadership in a church is that it is imaging this wonderful gospel. Verse 16, that's where true godliness comes from, from the gospel. And so I take it that when I lead my family and I make a mess of it, one thing I want to be to my kids is the chief repenter. I want to be the person who says sorry for when I get stuff wrong and I'm not honouring God. And it's the same here. We want to be chief repenters as we grow up in our spiritual maturity. Because that's how, actually, the generation below will catch our love for Jesus because that's when they see how precious he is. And it's also how they'll see our reliance on him as well and how they will actually listen to us. You know, how in verse 4, you know, you've got to run, manage your own family well and see that his children obey him. Say, so, you know, what does that look like? Managing children is an absolute nightmare. It's always good having the worst behaved children in the room if you're the vicar because it makes everyone else feel happy and they all feel relaxed on a Sunday morning. But how do you do that? I don't really know. I'm working it out. But I think one way is, is that I'm the chief repenter, that they see I'm not perfect and that they see I rely on Jesus because what I want them to do, what, what, I'm, what I want to command them to do is to love Jesus. And so I want them to catch my love of him. And they will do that um, as I exercise that beautiful spiritual authority like Jesus does and in reliance upon him. Look, we're going to skip over uh, some bits now and we're going to go to... Ah, yes, and we also come on to the deacons in verse 8. So deacons, uh, what, are we, what are we dealing with there? Uh, almost exactly the same kind of character is necessary but what is a deacon? Um, oh, I've lost it. Where are we? Deacon is literally someone who waits at table, like a waiter. This is an official position that you can read about in Acts 6 that was brought about because people needed to administer the grace of the church to those who need it, and it was distracting from those who were doing the leadership bit, the teaching and the directing the church. And so these guys literally started off waiting at tables. They're, they're servants. They're not, not someone who's waited on, but someone who serves. And so again, they're shaped by Christ, aren't they? This, and this, we note, is not a, a, it's a non-teaching role. So the teaching qualification is not in 8 through to uh, 12. Uh, and we also note um, uh, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Do you see how that's slightly different from being able to teach 
actually you've still got to be trustworthy with the gospel but you're but not so much teaching uh, and they must first be tested uh, verse 10 and then if there is nothing against them let them serve as, serve as deacons and in the same way the women are to be worthy of respect not malicious talkers but temperate and trustworthy in everything and so i think that means that women are, are to be considered in this role i think they should feature here uh, and the omission of such a clause back up in 1 through to 7, I think reinforces that that needs to be a male thing. So having deacons here who serve us is just brilliant, isn't it? Male and female, how wonderful. Pippa was thanking God for them in our prayers earlier, those who make everything happen. And again, deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children, his household well. So the same thing as we've already seen. Uh, verse 13, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Isn't this great? So served here is the same word for, for deacon, being the waiter. Uh, in God's economy, again, by serving others, you are valued. You gain, you gain standing, just like Christ. Because he became nothing in Philippians, he's exalted to the highest place, wasn't he? Those who make themselves nothing are those who have good standing in the community of Christ. Plus, as you serve, you gain assurance in your faith in Christ Jesus. And I think that's because you get to see the servant-hearted Jesus at work in others through you. It's a joyful and wonderful thing. Beautiful spiritual leadership requires beautiful character. And the reason for that is our second point. Church leadership embodies the truth of the gospel. So we see that here at the end, uh, verse 14. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you with these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So the reason for the response to false teaching and the how to do your church stuff in chapter 2 and how to pick your spiritual leadership is that we might embody the truth of the gospel. You can tell a lot about an outfit by its leadership, can't you? Have you ever noticed that? Has anyone, did anyone ever watch the, there was a documentary on Steve Jobs running Apple? He's the leadership. And weirdly, Apple kind of reflected him, at least it used to. Probably it's changed now. But he wasn't an altogether lovely bloke. Apple's not an altogether lovely spot. The point is that actually your spiritual leadership here and servants are the deacons. We should reflect Jesus in the way that we... We do those things so that people look at how we do our spiritual leadership and who we have doing it and, um, and what they're like in their character. And that totally transforms the whole culture of the church so that it reflects the gospel. It becomes an embodiment of this truth of the gospel that Christ came out of heaven to serve us and save us the worst of sinners. Do you see how that works? And that's why... Uh, so it does feel like a tall order, and somehow we, we just need to do better, doesn't it? But we've got to keep coming back to the fact that actually um, what this is about is our godliness in our leadership. That's what we want to aspire to and grow others into. Uh, that's what we want to be found amongst us. And the place we go for that godliness is, verse 16, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Where does godliness spring from? Is it from within you? Is it from you doing more? Is it from you trying harder? Is it from you learning your Bibles? That is a good thing to do and you should do that. All those things are good. Where does it spring from here? It springs from this amazing mystery 
that Jesus appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. In other words, chapter 1, verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. That is where true godliness is sourced, in Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection, and ascension to glory. I was recently at a school for an open day. I really dread these things. And the headmaster gets up and he does a speech. And this particular headmaster had a whole five minutes on decency. I've not heard that word used for a while. But he said, here, the boys and girls are decent. There is decency. And, and I sort of wanted to put my hand up and say, well, how do you make them decent? Do you just get them to pull their own socks up? Do you just beat them until they're decent? I really want to know. It's you know, because... Unless you have some kind of belief that drives what you're like, that's what you're left with, isn't it? I don't want to send my child somewhere where they're going to be beaten until they tuck their shirt in. I don't think they do that, by the way. But what do we have here? We have something so much better than that. And what I long to say to that headmaster is, let me make your job easy. Why don't we introduce all these kids to Jesus, the most decent and lovely and wonderful person, because it's from him that true godliness springs. That decency you're looking for comes from him. Don't do it in your own power. Do it by knowing Jesus. And we want to aspire to that, don't we? Because as we aspire to being transformed by Jesus, that is what makes us more and more of this character and life. If we try and do it in our own power, it's like drinking from a cracked system. That's like drinking the dregs from the bottom of your watering can that's got a crack in it so you get all the gooey stuff at the bottom it's gross and there's nothing in there whereas if we do it uh, in the gospel if we go to Jesus for our godliness then it's like swimming in a freshwater lake it's just plentiful isn't it and so that means I think our godliness as we aspire to these leadership roles and these servant roles is that we should be this chief repenter we should aspire to be the people who rely on this gospel the most who love Jesus the most because of our sin and it being forgiven. And that leads us to being the chief imitators, interestingly, and it makes for a beautiful character, which means younger generations look at you and say, oh, wow, what, you, what you're like and the way that you do things in your leadership, I want to do that because it is beautiful. Do you see how if we're doing that, actually, it actually encourages others to want to take that on. So what's Jesus' question for us? Well, what are you going to do with the remaining years that you have? I had a church warden who used to ask me this all the time. How old are you? 25. That means you've got about 40 useful years left for the gospel, he'd say. What are you going to do with those years? You know, what's your purpose as a Christian? Look, if you're young, I hope that you will aspire to the beautiful thing that is spiritual leadership in the church of the living God. You can do it while doing any other career. That's the beauty of it. But it will take work of the Holy Spirit in you as you repent and you transform your character. That's what we're going to be looking for. I had a, a, a minister who used to tell me all the time that being a vicar is the best job in the world. <laughs> He'd always say it with a smile, and I always think he's joking. But he said it enough and enough to make me to realise that it's true. And when I read this, I realised it's true. Being someone who's in spiritual leadership, pouring yourself out for others is a wonderful and joyous thing because you get to see God at work in you. And you won't hear that from what you watch or what you listen to. So be positive, guys. 
you can just say, hey, look, being a senior Christian and actually having a bit of spiritual clarity is a beautiful and wonderful thing. Uh, the Bible says, being a spiritual leader and servant shaped by the life of Christ is a wonderful, beautiful, noble thing. Of course it is. So is Jesus. But if you're a bit older, what are you looking for in the next generation of spiritual leadership? And what are you encouraging them in? And are you encouraging them into this noble task with your delight in it? Your radicalness in the way that you lead spiritually. Maybe not in church, but you might have grandkids. You might have um, a Bible study that you're running. Uh, Do your radically Jesus-shaped lives, which obviously flow from your love of Jesus, can they exhibit that character? Can you help the next generation to catch not just information about Jesus, but to catch your love for him by the way that you're shaped and the way that you do spiritual leadership of any kind? I want to be, so that they say, I want to be like that. Do you know, I think that's what was lovely about Nigel. Nigel Gordon, who we still miss, I nearly had a bit of a cry this morning uh, with Evelyn, we still miss him because he did this, didn't he? His character, with its many flaws, was shaped so much by knowing Jesus that it made you want to mature into being like him. Uh, Let your love for Christ abound and let him transform your life more and more and you'll be helping inspire and raise the next generation of spiritual leaders. Think of who you grew up looking up to in the church uh, and who you could see love Jesus. And then look, as a church, to be a pillar and a foundation here at Emmanuel or at Hope uh, of the church, by our conduct, to be an embodiment of the gospel, I think we do need to organise our spiritual leadership like this. We need to be looking for people who do this, who are like this, who are those chief repenters and who love Jesus and are transformed by him. That's what we're looking for in a new generation coming up. We've got to be praying towards that because it's only in his power he's going to do that. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you think of what it would be like? You know, we had that verse, didn't we, that um, the love of money, it's this desire, that's the same thing of that desiring, aspiring in verse 1 to be an overseer. Can can you imagine what our culture and and our country would be like if we aspired for spiritual leadership in the same way that our our nation aspires for money. Can you imagine how different that would be? Can you imagine, what would you you rather have there? Can you imagine what Canary Wharf would be like if actually that was just filled with, with, with praise and prayer and teaching institutions producing many, many radical Christians living sacrificial lives of spiritual leadership for others and for God? How different would our city look? Isn't that a brilliant thing? Why don't we pray that we would be the start of that as the pillar and foundation of truth here at Emmanuel. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, that it is your will to make us, uh, your, your church, the pillar and foundation of this lovely and amazing truth that is so beautiful that you came into the world to save sinners of whom we are the worst. And yet, Lord, it's your plan to work in us, to make us of beautiful character that we might aspire to this beautiful role. And so you'd help each one of us, Lord, in our mess, in our suffering, in our difficulty, Lord, to rely on you to transform us, that we might be a part of being the spiritual leadership, aspiring to it, or helping others aspire to it. 
through the way that we live for you. Shape us and mould us, I pray, Lord, in all things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Edward. That was really exciting. I-